Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is King. There is no neutrality, no exile, and there is never going to be a surrender. My name is Jason. This is John. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, despite the power going out in the middle of the night and not getting a whole some, lot of sleep. Some long nights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hate that. It's rough. It's yeah. rough. I usually sleep well, generally, but... When the power goes out, man, things change, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. What's uh what's been on your reading list? Anything lately? Um, not a whole lot, honestly. I finished yeah. that right book I mentioned last week and I started a Ben Shapiro book just because oh, I'm curious. Yeah. Some of he's an interesting fellow, you know. Some of that we agree with him on, on a lot, but uh <laughs> springing that on me. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um yeah, how to destroy America in three easy steps. It's interesting though, just like exploring the dynamic of all this, all the election stuff. And yeah, you have the right and the left and the people talking on both sides and some in the middle, you know, casualties of war, I guess. But oh sure. It's yeah. it's fascinating just to hear perspectives. He's no doubt a smart guy. Um, I can't say much on the book other than uh, he's he's polished. He's a good writer, good speaker. Yeah. Um, but sure, it's sure does know how to own those college freshmen. <laughs> yeah, getting kicked off campus at Berkeley Gosh, or something. Really, really <laughs> giving it to him good. Yeah, it's funny. Anyway, welcome everybody to our next episode here. We're going to talk tonight about something, uh, you know, slightly controvers- tr- controversial, that's a word, and uh, that being drugs and the drug war. Yeah. And so we'll get into do, that. Do we like drugs? Depends on what we mean by that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to give you a qualified, nuanced answer on this episode for sure. But before we do that, housekeeping items. John, where can they subscribe? Uh, you can subscribe at lambsrain.com slash support, and you can become a supporter of what we do here and what we do on Lambs Rain. So we have regular articles, uh, obviously this podcast that you can download on pretty much anywhere podcasts are available for the most part. That would be Android, Apple, Spotify, I think Amazon now. Mm-hmm. We're on YouTube. We're going to be on Facebook. And uh, you can support us by going to, again, lambsrain.com slash support. You can give one time. You can give a recurring just whatever is more convenient for you, and we'd deeply appreciate that. And it's listener-slash-viewer-supported in a lot of ways, so we thank you yeah. for your contribu- contributions. We both work As, as much as lot. we like doing this, it's actually not free for us to yeah. do this. Yeah, there's a cost involved. <laughs> yeah. Families and, and jobs, and there's a lot involved, but we do appreciate especially those who have stepped up and helped us. Yeah. We're, we're thankful, Absolutely. seriously thankful for that. Yeah. But yeah, lambsrain.com. I would tell you to go to Facebook, but as it was the case last week, yeah, <laughs> some of us aren't on there. Right. We I can't... think Jason and Jordan both, I think, are still off of Facebook, yeah. or at least in Facebook jail. Um, can't comment, can't like, can't share. Yeah. So if you want to get hold of Jason or, or <laughs> our friend Jordan, uh, which you'll remember him from earlier episodes, good friend of ours, uh, and also a, a editor at Lambs Rain, yeah. you can holler at me or go to one of our Facebook pages. Uh, or you can go to editors at uh, lambsrain.com to send an email. Yep, totally. So there's a couple different ways. Yeah, I've had a couple e- emails come in, and, and just <laughs> it's kind of funny how you're, you're used to spending a lot of time connecting with people and talking and using Messenger and stuff, and then it's just gone. Yeah. So it's frustrating. I, I'm, I'm sure it is. I've definitely been put in Facebook jail m- many times, but I've never had my Facebook completely shut down. So I, I wish I that were that. I wish that were the case here, but yeah. alas, here we are. I know. So anyway... What else uh, is going on? Yeah, uh, not much. Preaching you got your new book. 
preaching through Romans. Yeah, the the book's doing well. Thank you for all your support on that too. Yeah, health for all of life. Um, trying to trying to get that out there. Actually, funny thing on the way here, you just triggered something in my mind because I there's a gentleman who reached out to me. This was months ago, and said I'd like to put some of your books in Portuguese. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's put some of Rashtuni's books in Portuguese, which is so cool. Is he a Bra- Brazilian or Portuguese? I think so. Yeah. I think so. We didn't talk long, but I totally, I said, go for it, man. I appreciate it. I emailed him the PDFs and told him to go. You know, so there's he's, quite a bit of a growing community in Latin America of Reconstructionists. He tweeted it, and I got all of a sudden I'm getting tons of notice notifications. Yeah. People are responding, oh, that's interesting. He's doing my Reconstructing the Heart book. Nice. And it should be out, and he's going to send me some print copies, which is really cool. But Very cool. It's awesome, yeah, just to, to hear him and how he's been influenced by Rush Dooney and how they're trying to spread these ideas yeah. in, in Brazil. That's so, very cool. Really awesome. That's very cool. We should probably mention that the format's going to change slightly um, oh, yes, after this yes, week. Yes. I'm going to be going back home to Oklahoma for uh, actually a fairly good amount of time, several weeks, to see family for, during Christmas and Thanksgiving. But the podcast continues. We might take a week, maybe two off for the actual holidays, but we're going to continue recording remotely and uh, it just won't be us sitting next to each other. What time zone is that going to be, by the way? I'm just going to be an hour. An hour uh, back? Back. Okay. So it's it's not going to be too bad. That's not crazy. Yeah. It's not like when I go to Lusaka and I'm eight hours ahead or whatever it is. Right. But uh, things should mostly stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're still like figuring that out. So because I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll be fine. You're more techie than I am, and yeah. I, I can handle a few things. But so yeah, we're figuring it out, and it'll be fun anyway. So hopefully, uh, we're may or may not have some interviews. You know, we're still talking through what it's going to look like. But yeah, you know, we'll be back here. At, we'll you know, distance won't prevent us. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. The drug cool. war. The drug war. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. Um, under you know, at least American politics, uh, certain drugs have been illegal for a long time, over 100 years now. But it really started picking up steam during Nixon and then Reagan's administrations. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, l- we'll get into that in a little bit, I suppose. But let's let's kind of just set the groundwork because this is a topic that, like we said a minute ago, it needs some nuance. It needs mm-hmm. a careful analysis. And... We want to come at this. Obviously, we're presuppositionalists, so right. we we are relying not on natural law, yeah. <laughs> not on the Pope's fiat dictations <laughs> and whatever. We natural want natural law is oftentimes what comes naturally to people, which isn't necessarily good. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah, it just comes naturally that I'm against that. Okay, well, yeah. we want to address this from a biblical presuppositional um, apologetic. Obviously, we're theonomists, so yeah, we are not trying to come at this from a liberal perspective or a conservative perspective. Um, we are probably more radical than you know either side in some ways <laughs> on different issues. And so we're really trying to just look at what God's word has to say. Yeah, and you said conservative liberal, but there's also those pesky libertarians that are in there too. And yeah, and so we would on this issue take you know all, we would um, end up at the same conclusion. I think right. Just we're gonna come at it a different way. I think so. Than most. Than most. Yeah. Well, that said, then we need to flesh out really at the beginning of this talk the regulative principle of government right and what does that even mean because many people have heard regulative principle of worship that seems to be more of a fight you know do we Mm -hmm. only sing psalms and so on so there is a 
a regulation of sorts in Scripture that we see. Right. What is it, though? Well, whenever we speak of a regulative principle, it usually has to do with this idea that if if something is not prescribed, then it's it's um, prohibited. That's usually the the idea. So when we speak of the regulative principle of worship, which is a completely different subject, and we're <laughs> not going to talk about it right now, <laughs> no. uh, it usually means unless a sort of activity uh, or ritual or practice during official church worship, unless that's prescribed by God's Word, they're going to say that we're going to prohibit that activity. Correct. So the regular principle of government is similar in the sense that whenever we're looking at God's word as theonomists, as presuppositionalists, we're saying insofar as what the civil government has the jurisdiction to enforce, we need prescription from the scriptures to actually say that XYZ should be illegal. Mm-hmm. We're not pulling from a kind of a general welfare of society principle. We're not pulling from natural law. We're actually saying, does God's does God's word actually say that this should be illegal? And it oftentimes just comes back to that same line we've probably heard of a lot of different times from Greg Bonson to Seitenberg and Kate. And so we're like, well, what's the standard? Mm-hmm. Like, by what, by what standard? standard? By what standard? So that principle is oftentimes discussed when it comes to apologetics. So, like, why is, you know, it, it's oftentimes used to kind of put the, push the antithesis when it's talking about ethics. So, like, uh, some pagan off the street or at a college university is like, I'm really against animal abuse. It's like, great, by what standard? Why is that wrong? Yeah. You know, and we can use this as an apologetic tool. But the same principle would apply to ethics and civil ethics specifically. By what standard, as Christians, should we say that something should be illegal? And we yes. have to have a similar sort of justification. And there's always going to be, and this is a conversation that I have all the time, not so much lately because the colleges have been shut down, but right. at Mason, pe- people making these moral oughts, this ought to be the case or this ought not to be the case. And today in p- political discussion, it happens all of the time. Yeah. We, we need to, the big talk right now is with um, the, the ostensible Biden presidency and AOC saying things like, we need to, we need to get rid of student debt. We yeah. need to just wipe it away. Yeah. And so now those aren't just political claims. Those are moral oughts. Because Everything a, has a moral background. Exactly. There's yeah. a moral ought. There's a moral command. There's something foundational that's there. And I'll tell you, man, most Christians, I don't know, maybe you agree. I shouldn't say most because I don't know most Christians. <laughs> but it seems like the general trend is a utilitarianism, yeah. right? You kind of mentioned that, this idea that the oughts ought to be dictated by whatever works or pragmatism or mm-hmm. whatever it, helps the most amount of people. Right, you're absolutely right. And this kind of goes into the general discussion on theonomy in general, for sure. Um, but it is deeply frustrating because you see people like pastors, like generally, like otherwise faithful good men who, who railed against subjectivity of morals, be like, we are not moral subjectivists, and they will claim that God's word is extremely subjective on individual personal morality and piety. They'll say God's word is very specific on how we should govern the church. They should say God is, God's word is extremely specific on how we should govern our families and all these different things. But then they become utilitarians when it comes to the civil government. <laughs> and it's weird because you have all these different spheres of governance in society, and they will condemn outright any sort of moral subjectivity or moral utilitarianism, except when it comes to the civil government, and then all of a sudden they become that's true, very subjective, very <laughs> utilitarian. And um, yeah, God's word authoritative. The, the basic theonomic premise premise is that all of this is by God's standard. 
And we're not going to say that we're going to go by God's standard in my personal life and my family, my church, but we're going to talk about what works best according to my point of view when it comes to the civil government. Yep. Yeah, just to give you a little quick history, I have some quotes here just in terms of the regular principle of the state. John Wycliffe said, The law of Christ, when perfectly executed, teaches most rightfully how every injustice must be extirpated from the commonwealth and how those offending against the law should be chastised. Mm, yeah. Just to give you the historical, and I know you have, will have some biblical arguments, Calvin himself, that to discern that there is nothing but vanity in all worldly devices, we must know the laws and ordinances of God. But if we rest upon men's laws, surely it is not possible for us to judge rightly. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty clear. I'll do one more. Zwingli himself, for he, that's God, will that his word alone be obeyed and that the life be regulated by it alone. Right. Amen. So history of Reformation, yeah, <laughs> Reformational it, theology. It's not a new idea. Correct. It's all of, all of life should be governed by God's word insofar as we can actually t- interpret it properly. Uh, obviously, we can go into massive depth on this and talk about, you know, care and principle or how we apply theonomy and all these different categories of God's law. But if we understand the general principle, I think it's really helpful. Uh, as far as scripture goes, I mean, I think the the glaring example would be Romans 13. Yes. Where Romans 13, verse 4, it says, For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So I think this really begs the question, is like, how are we going about defining what is good and evil? It always, yeah. Don't just stop reading that. Yeah. <laughs> Ask these questions. I don't think you can read Romans 13 and say, well, I'm going to define good and evil as how I perceive society to be best organized. (laughs) And and I think that really relies upon a almost a a arrogance, if you will, a presumption that I can actually, I'm qualified. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm qualified as a mere image of God, as a mere creature of God, to look at all society and say, I know how to govern it best. (laughs) I know what should be legal and what should not be legal. I know what God says when he's saying good and evil. I don't actually have to read the rest of God's word. I know what he means by good and evil when we read Romans 13. Uh, We would say that God actually does talk about what is good and what is evil and how we should organize those ideas and really get into the distinction I think is extremely important. What is the difference between a sin and a sin that should also be illegal? Yeah. Because yeah. as we go forward in this conversation, we may, we need to make it extremely clear that we're not saying that all of these things are just perfectly okay to do. Right. We're not saying, yeah, go smoke meth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's get it done. Uh, we're, we're not no. saying that at all. What we are saying is that certain things that are horrendous sins— that are harmful to you, harmful to your family, harmful to society, that doesn't necessarily mean those things should also be illegal. Yeah, and the basis being the authority of the Word of God. Romans 13, real quick, verse 1, people miss this, but let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's right. Oh, okay, and then they stop reading. No, for there is no authority except from God. So the authority is vested in God. Not a man, not a magistrate. It's a derivative authority. Right. But the difference between a sin and a law, or excuse me, a crime and a sin is is massive. Yeah. It's incredibly Huge. important because if you start um, saying that every sin ought to be punished, how, how do I? How do we judge? Well, let's just go to the beatitudes things. and say every time I hate my brother, I should be executed because that's basically committing murder in my heart. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, and these are these are distinctions that Jesus makes. 
Like there's the heart of the law. What is the, what am, what am I doing when I'm sinning in my heart? That is not to be judged temporally. It's not to be judged in society in the same way as what I do with my hands mm-hmm. or, yes. or, you know, and those are two different things. They're both important. Yeah. Right. And there's obviously going to be that overlap, that ethical overlap. But when I hate my brother in my heart, I am guilty of murdering him in my heart. That doesn't mean I ought to be executed by the civil magistrate. Right. And that distinction is vital. Because he's still alive. Right. <laughs> and you he's didn't still actually alive. kill him. That doesn't mean I'm not sinning against him. Right. You know, yeah. I am murdering him yeah. in my heart. Yes. Yeah. And then it be- then what spills out is perhaps you are angry with him and you're verbally you know, uh, rude to him or, yeah. and then, and then it escalates into Matthew, uh, Matthew 18 process mm-hmm. and then yeah. perhaps excommunication, which but, is a sort not, of spiritual death, right? Yeah. Covenantal death. It, you're not being excommunicated from your, you know, fun little first Baptist church. It, right. This is the bride of Christ. You're being excommunicated from the big thing is you, you mentioned in your heart, you have this medic metaphysical, Thing. God's built emotion into us. There's feeling, there's um, anger and happiness and sadness and joy and all these different emotions. And those things can be used sinfully, yeah. but those things are automatically a crime. Right. You, there's no, you know, they joke about the thought police or the heart police, you know, and <laughs> um, I know what conservatives mean when they say that. Right. But hate, hate crimes. Yeah. You know. But generally speaking, there there's a, a clear delineation that not all sin is a crime. Yeah. Now, all crimes, in terms of what God says are crimes, is a sin. But it's the same thing with um, David and Bathsheba. You know, he coveted uh, Uriah's wife. Right. He coveted, so the Tenth Commandment. And, and you know, a lot of those things are all mixed up in there. <laughs> he yeah. committed murder, had, had Uriah sent to the front right. to be killed, and all because... At the end of the day, he was breaking the first commandment. You right. know, he was worshiping himself as God, and he was judged. And he was judged. So he's God's prophet, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan confronted him, and he lost his child, and and uh, things spiraled out of control with his own family, his own house, and his own right. children. Sometimes people use that example to almost justify like civil rulers being immoral. Hmm. I'm like, look, <laughs> you need to read a little bit further and like see Psalm 51. <laughs> yeah, it's like you need to read a little bit further. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's also important to say that some theonomists do look at this from more of a natural law perspective. So they, they see this as more of a utilitarian question. And one thing that actually marks us as reconstructionists and not just as theonomists, so we, though we are theonomists, is looking at this presuppositionally. And that's what we've already kind of discussed, is that we want to be looking at God's law and how we punish civil crimes in a presuppositional way, not just apologetically or epistemologically, but also penology. Like, yes. how are we actually uh, penalizing civil crimes? And we need to be looking at that presuppositionally, as opposed to sort of like a, a Thomist sort of natural mm-hmm. law way of looking at it, which yeah. is sometimes our, our good friends, the covenanters will do, <laughs> who have a very theonomic impulse, but are looking at things a little bit looser. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how oftentimes that, that camp, if you will, will take things that are sins and then make them into crimes. Yeah, And that's often oftentimes how you can get like, you know, in the more radical fringes, um, like Christmas trees being illegal or being a Baptist being illegal. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Christmas trees. I like Christmas They're trees. They're really too. pretty. Yeah. I, you know. Uh, we also <laughs> have uh, Deuteronomy 4. Yeah. Um, there's a lot here, so go read it. But Deuteronomy 4, verse 2 in specific, uh, specifically says, You shall not add to the word that I have commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. And I think that's that's important because 
I believe that whenever you make a sin, a crime, that God did not intend to be a crime, you are adding to God's Word. Yes, you are. And that's that's the argument that we'd be making on this episode. And just so you know, this isn't like a cherry-picked thing either. He says later in Deuteronomy 12, 32, you shall not add to it or take from it. Yeah. Um, Joshua 1, 7, you shall be careful to do according to all the law that Mo- uh, Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, and yeah. then you will have good success. Or Proverbs uh, 30, verse 6, do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Right. So God's law is good. And God's law is not just good in the sense that it tells us what is good and what is right. It's also good in how it tells us how to punish what is good and what mm. is right. So the penology, as in like how we punish evil, is every bit as ethical as the simple statement, uh, you know, do not do this, do not do that, or do right. this and do that. Uh, how we punish evil is just as morally significant and theologically significant as the basic ethics. And I would dare to say this to my our conservative listener, listeners, and by conservative, I mean capital C, card-carrying Republican <laughs> conservatives, right. that there's schizophrenia when it comes to this issue, especially immigration. You know, we're, we're just, we're for legal immigration. Right. And, and by same, one standard. Yeah, same, same <laughs> principles. Yeah. Just because, I mean, the Constitution doesn't even give authority for, for that. Naturalization, yes, but not immigration and crossing a border. So you you can't have a, have it both ways. You can't you can't say that on the one side, and then oh well you know we need to ban all the drugs and you know because it's just inconvenient or we shouldn't do it or it decimates families which we right. wouldn't come to in a minute. But but I think that that's the big the big thing when we come to God's law. It's always ethical all the way through, not just in the things that are sin, but what are the things that are actually crimes, and not just crimes. How do you deal with the crime? You can't just say something ought to be a crime and then arbitrarily say, well, you know, two years in jail. Right. We Exactly. We can't say, uh, like, for example, God says that if you rape somebody, you are to be put to death. So we're not going to say that it is right to say, well, rape is illegal, but you're going to get a fine. <laughs> that would be unjust. That's that's what we mean by when we're saying the penology is moral. How we punish is every bit as moral as how we determine what is right and what is wrong. Yes, and and, and the reason for punishment. Yeah. <laughs> too, because God said, and we care what God says. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, when it comes down to, to drugs, we're asking, where in God's law does it actually justify the idea that substances that we put into our body must be illegal mm-hmm. or is a crime? Yeah. So let's, yes, let's... That's the question. With that yeah. question, let's lay a little bit more foundation, too. Theological presuppositions for private ownership, for example. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Protection of life and liberty and property. So image bearers have intrinsic rights. And when I say image bearers, I don't mean Christians <laughs> only, right? Image bearers, somebody who is not like you, who doesn't necessarily hold to the gospel like you do, all image bearers have intrinsic rights. That's why we view abortion the way we do. Right. Right. So no man can take that away. No government, no civil, no act of decree from a king, and no, frankly, no legislation from a governing body can take away those intrinsic rights. Now they will try, but part of the argument here is that that's, that's protected by God. So God is the ultimate owner, um, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, you have several times repeated throughout the Bible, like Psalm, what is it? Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Yeah. So God's the ultimate owner. He owns it all. It's his people. 
he gives ownership, of course, to us. It's a derivative ownership. Yeah. Our libertarian friends are going to really connect with this because a lot of this is really property rights while understanding that God is the ultimate ultimate property owner. Yeah. Everything stems from that. And it has to have that foundation. If you don't have the foundation of God owning the land and not the state, then the state can come and tax you to your wit's end. Well, the state becomes God at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So now you have a substitute God. So you have you have God as a creator, man has made in his image, man has a functional Subord, like a, like a, 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 a subordination to God, a right. function in creation to serve the creation, to cultivate creation, to grow and keep work and keep the garden world. That's, that's the principle. So those things are there in Scripture. Again, we're not like, there's no verse that says you shall not do drugs. Yeah. There's no verse that says the civil magistrate should punish people for what they put in their body. We're, we're, we're drilling down on a biblical presupposition here. God owns everything. Ownership that we have is always derivative, not of the state, but of God. Right. And the state can't take that away. How's that for a little presuppositional That's good. foundation? Anything to add? No. no. I don't, the government doesn't make one thing moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ultimate examples of that is the Supreme Court doesn't make abortion not murder. Yes, exactly. It doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah. No. That's a good way of putting it. So some of this I laid out in my book, Politics of Humanism. I have a chapter there on the drug war, and so I just kind of went back there today, and <laughs> what did I say about this? Okay, <laughs> that's good. Good reminder. But the history of the drug war, let's kind of move there. So we have those presuppositions in place. Now we have this historical issue, and you brought this up earlier. In 1971, Richard Nixon decided we were going to wage a war on drugs. Yeah. And yeah. same year that they ended the <laughs> the gold standard, they went away from the gold standard, and Fiat currency became the new age of, of everything. You also had the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, uh, come about. Those were um, put in place in 1906 by Roosevelt. Yeah. Roosevelt put those in Over place. Over 110 years ago now. Yeah. Think, think about this, though. This is what like <laughs> drives me crazy. You have these executive power organizations. I mean, it's even in the name, Drug Enforcement. Like, right. Executive power all over it. You have these agencies that are there to dictate what you can and cannot put in your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. Unprecedented in terms of American history. Up until that point, we didn't have it. hundred years ago, bang. We had these powerful agencies that put things like a Schedule One drug list together with LSD and ecstasy, and, and guess what else is on that list? <laughs> a Mar- plant. Marijuana. A plant. Yeah. <laughs> Which is laughable. Um, it's not like those other drugs. It's a, it's, you know, that's a different discussion probably, but, but the big thing is, is we also had a a problem with these enforcement, the the enforcement of these laws in communities of minorities. Right. Uh, A lot of these actions, especially the early actions, uh, were making some of these drugs illegal is very targeted and the propaganda campaigns were just blatantly racist. And I know everybody says everything is racist, right? <laughs> and a lot of things are. Let's just let's just kind of get that out of the way. Uh, let's stop being reactionary. And just because a lot of people falsely claim something's racist doesn't mean that things aren't racist. <laughs> yeah. This was extremely racist. In the public propaganda campaigns, the, the, the campaigns against drugs from the government was basically saying that marijuana made Mexicans and black people crazy rapists, uh, makes them lose their minds, makes them 
turn into murderers. And I'm not, that's not even exaggerating. That's literally what some of these campaigns were saying and uh, specifically targeted those communities because those communities used some of these drugs, especially marijuana, very recreationally. Now, this is really not very different than, say, alcohol usage, though. So it was a very targeted, specific yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and it's well known. And and I, I think, I mean, I've had folks, black folks who have said, man, this has been, we have been set up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, this isn't like, we're not making this up. This stuff has happened. Minority communities, black communities, you mentioned Mexican, it ties into the immigration thing. Because, right. you know, every Mexican who comes here is a drug, druggie who wants to just drug the America. That's, that's right? the rhetoric, yeah. That's the rhetoric. Yeah. But it's just harmful how it has been a a, a, a government-controlled, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which word I'm, I'm trying to get to, but basically they have uh, tried to establish, you know, they're waging the war not to win it. Yeah, that idea. Right. So no, I think that's I think that's accurate. Yeah. And we even if we, you know I'm sure we'll we'll get into this a little bit, but it just hasn't been effective. Mm-mm. I, let's have some stats. I got some stats here. Fun right. stats. Roll up your sleeves. Yeah. Crack your fingers. Eighty-one percent of all drug arrests are simply for possession. Ah. Just merely having something on your person. So you're not going out and like breaking things or hurting people. No. 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 Uh, no victim. <laughs> to be found, eighty-one percent. Yeah, you can be handcuffed. You your your car can be impounded. That's not even to bring up the issue of civil asset forfeiture, which is theft. <laughs> it's theft, a yeah. lucrative business. Google those stats. It's disgu- yeah. It's despicable. And then you can go bankrupt essentially, all for the fact that you had a bag of a plant in your pocket. Yeah. Right. In 1980, 580,900 people were arrested on drug-related charges. By 2014. Think of this, 34 years later, it increased to 1,561,231. Massive increase. So more than 700,000 in 2014 were related to marijuana. So that's like half, yeah, roughly. With regard to federal prisons, just about half are incarcerated for drug-related charges. <laughs> mm. Half. Half. <laughs> for a crime that God has not said is a crime. One estimate said that by ending the war on drugs, we could save $41.3 billion a year, maybe even closer to $50 billion. And a note on that, just think about how much time for police is spent on that issue, how much your, your local court clerks and people that are involved in the paperwork for the court, the judges, yeah, how much time and energy and paperwork is wrapped up into that. A massive amount. And we should probably have somebody on for an entire episode on on criminal justice reform. But just the brokenness of the system where so many crimes are pushed to go plead out, where people are ending up basically being felons for the rest of their life because they pled out because it was cheaper for them Hmm. or Mm -hmm. or, uh, more convenient for them or people who actually should be going to prison pleading out (laughs) or getting lesser sentences because Judges don't even want to take these cases because the system is so yeah. clogged. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Major clogged. Yeah. In 2010, we had 1.6 million people in state and federal prisons. That's less than 1% of the population, by the way, for those who are asking. And then, of course, what happens if you set this out by race or ethnicity, as it were? Whites, think about this. 
whites in America make up 64% of the total population. Okay. 64%. 31% of the total incarcerated. So Well, that's a disparity right there. Big time. Yeah. And I'm not done. Blacks make up 14% of the total population. 36% of the prison population. Ah, okay. Hispanics are 16% of the total population, and they are 24% of the prison population. It's astounding. So if you let me clarify, if you are not, <laughs> if you're at home or wherever you're at driving, listening to this, watching this, and that didn't blow your mind, you're not paying attention. And no, you know, no criticism of you because those stats, they're, they're stats, they're out there. You can find them online. The, the underlying problem we see is you have a minority of blacks, especially, who are making a massive amount of, of there's a disproportionate number of them in prisons for these drug-related crimes. Right. So when we talk about systemic racism or institutionalized injustice, there you go. There's the fruit of it. Yeah. That, That's the fruit of it. That would be the end game. And there's a lot of things that build up to that. Um, which uh, we'll, we'll have an entire episode on systemic racism, I'm sure. But the the retort would be, well, there's more blacks in prison because they commit more crimes. <laughs> that would that would be the retort. But then we have to ask, well, why is there more crimes? Why is that even considered a crime? There's all sorts of questions that don't go further than that. Correct. So yeah. their the rebuttal of systemic racism is extremely shallow. Mm-hmm. Or they say uh, crime rates are correlated with poverty rates. Therefore, it's not actually race; it's poverty. Well, what causes the poverty rate then? <laughs> and that's what I mean. Is like it stops keep, short. Keep following. So it. there's there's really people who I respect a lot. People like Thomas Sowell, for example, an African American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who stops there. He says that the crime is not at all caused or correlated with race. It is only poverty. Or he might not say only, but significantly just poverty. But he just stops there. You're shifting the blame. Yeah. What What is causing that poverty disparity then? Because then you get into education and you get into, um, you actually get into imprisonment actually affecting poverty rates. You get into lots of different issues. You get into generational wealth disparities that are dramatically caused by Entire generations of a populace not being allowed to go to college. Yeah, and um, or policing. Getting crappier, like terrible, like policing and education. Job. Just, uh, as it far goes as, like, deep. Pay and, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is deep. Just to give you one more last line item here: <laughs> out of young black males, one in four go to jail. Right. So, quite literally, as one study put it, if you're if you're a young black male, you're more likely to go to jail than you are to get married or go to college. Right. You're almost twice as likely to get the mandatory um, minimum sentence as a black man as you are a white man for the same crime with the same criminal history. Hmm. Yeah. One out of every eleven blacks are in prison as well. <laughs> I mean, and you, I could hear people say they're going to say, "Well, they they should stop committing crimes." That is such a, a calloused non-answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not. Again, systemic racism, another episode. But, you know, it, it all ties into this issue, especially drugs, because that is what most people are, the, the majority right. of arrests are that. Well, you get into, there's, there's other statistics that proves that especially drug usage like cocaine and marijuana have very equal statistics as far as white people using it and black people using it. But those aren't the people going to prison mm-hmm. for those things. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you can hire a good lawyer, fancy so lawyer. It's not just a matter of who's actually committing those crimes. It's <laughs> who's getting caught committing those crimes because of policing practices. And not only who's getting caught, who's able to go and fight it because they have more resources. They actually have the lawyers, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Anywho. 
So those are just <laughs> that's an episode. Yeah, yeah, those are. I mean, that's just kind of the history of the drug war. Some stats, recent stats that you can find, and and I just think it's something we should we should consider when it comes to this issue. Well, bottom line, it's not working. Yeah. I think whatever you think of you know systemic racism and all these different stats, it's not working. Uh, and, you know, this actually connects a little bit into the war on terrorism. Hmm. Whenever you commit to go to war against vague, undefined, um, or at least very ill-defined ideas or usages, like it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. You end up in a perpetual war that oftentimes feeds into the war, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Uh, there's, also, there's also other factors. Whenever you make a substance illegal, uh, what happens in the market is that when there's still a great deal of demand for that substance, uh, oftentimes there's innovation in that market. And innovation oftentimes means we're going to make the substance smaller, easier to contain, more powerful, and more dangerous. Like abortion. Um, <laughs> like, just yeah. like abortion. So what's happened with hardcore drugs is that now we have more drugs on the market, synthetic drugs that are actually smaller easier to produce so you don't have to be produced in the jungles of south america mm. they can be produced in your bathtub um by going to the pharmacy and then maybe you know getting some materials together now you can make it in a trailer right uh so instead of having a cocaine and marijuana problem we have a methamphetamine and opioid problem mm -hmm. now we have synthetic drugs that are actually far more dangerous to your health um than than before mm -hmm. there's there's interesting dynamics like whenever you actually make something prohibited it gets replaced. Whenever they prohibited beer, what did people start drinking? Moonshine. The moonshine. Because moonshine runners. is more concentrated, right? Which means that you're getting more bang for your buck, <laughs> and it makes it safer, safer to transport. Yeah. And now what happens with moonshine is that a lot of times during Prohibition, moonshine was actually way more dangerous. So people are going blind by drinking <laughs> moonshine or getting really sick or getting just drunker and drunker faster and faster because they're drinking moonshine instead of beer yeah so you have all these <laughs> dynamics um you also have different studies where where alcohol is prohibited in college football stadiums and so what happens is that there's still actually the same amount of alcohol as before but now people are sneaking in, in liquor <laughs> as opposed to beer because it's easier flask, to it's easier know. to hide liquor <laughs> while you actually have more beer in the tailgating <laughs> so you have all these different social dynamics. The point being is that when there is a market demand for something, the demand will be met. The question is, how is it going to get met and how many lives are we going to ruin? Yeah, that's a good, that's good. Economics 101, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of a basic theology of or philosophy of economics, both, I guess. Yeah. And the idea that God... Wasn't planning on going on that tangent. No, I it's, think it's good. Helpful. It's yeah. good because that that helps us. I mean, for the rest of the episode, was as we kind of pare it down here, we're, we're looking at the theology of drug use, and I want to talk about a few common objections. But, but I think that's a good segue because economically speaking, that's how it always works. God does not give the state the authority to, to regulate. Right. The the free market is free individuals making free transactions, um, willing to to sell, buy, sell, trade, whatever, um, uncoerced mm -hmm. and unmolested by a government that wants their hand out too. Um, the, the meme of the guy pointing on his hand, and every time the <laughs> government, when you you know when you buy something, the government wants some, and it, right. it's like kind of a fun fun meme and joke, but but it's really true because they get tangled up in everything. So that's a uh, that's helpful. I appreciate you saying that. So theology of drug use, you brought up opioids, synthetic drugs, the pharmaceutical industry, um, pharmaceutical meaning 
coming from the Greek word pharmakeia. It's yeah. brought up in Revelation and, and the idea of necromancy and, and all of these things. And there's, there, I know you have something to say about that, but, <laughs> but um, I think the pharma, pharmaceutical industries have single-handedly been um, not only government-backed because you know, they don't have liability. You, you don't, there's no liability on vaccines. There won't be if you think Moderna and Pfizer, all these COVID vaccines are going to... When they hurt people, because they will... You're not going to be able to sue. You're not going to be able to get any money because they have a blanket blank check here for the government. Right. They there's no liability there. So that has produced billions and billions and billions of drugs, synthetic drugs. You mentioned the opioids. Yeah, and that's not how the market's supposed to work. It's, they're they're it's supposed awful. to be built-in incentives to protect the safety of, of I guess, its customers. Mm-hmm. But when you take that away. When you take away the possibility of suing them and bankrupting them for putting out a terrible product, it really distorts things. Yeah, it really does. So I, I think that's one one issue. You know, we know that Paul says to be sober-minded in yes. Ephesians 5 right. and not to be drunk with wine. Let's let's do a quick, like, you know, a <laughs> theology of drug use. Sure. Should everybody be doing drugs? Depends on the drug is. <laughs> yeah. I think oftentimes whenever uh, drug use is talked about, there's this assumption that legal drugs are good and illegal drugs are bad. Mm-hmm. And there's just that assumption made. Well, first of all, that's really going to man's law, not God's law. But I also think that just like what you're saying with pharmaceutical companies, there's this assumption that what's coming out of Pfizer is going to be good for you and healthy. While in reality, opioids especially opioids, is a massive problem, a massive problem in America, um, where it is more dangerous to more Americans than heroin. And every day, working class Americans are getting hooked on these things because they have pain problems. And they're not necessarily bad people. And they get hooked on these things, and it really destroys their liver, destroys their life. They can overdose. But this is, this is the legal drug. Yeah. Right? This yeah. is the actual the good drug. But smoking marijuana, it's terrible. Yeah. Right? So I, I even have, like, close, close people in my life who have dealt with opio- opioid addictions. And they're, like, they're good people. They're not some meth head on the street. Mm-hmm. They're not some gang criminal. But, like, the, the idea, the assumption in most people's head is that if I get a prescription for this, this is, like, the good drug. But I can't use the bad drug. You know, they could smoke a little bit of weed and kill their pain, <laughs> but instead they get hooked on some of the most dangerous pharmaceuticals ever created. Yes, very and dangerous. And it's, it's hugely dangerous. So quick uh, health for all of life book plug. Because <laughs> really good book. Because the, the issue too is they don't, allopathic medicine doesn't actually treat the issues. They mask the symptoms. Yes. So a guy who's on pain, uh, pain medicine because he's got a back issue uh, man, maybe DMSO will work. <laughs> maybe, yeah, some CBD. Uh, which I know yeah. it'll work. It, it's it's proven. It will. CBD oil. I I use it all the time. I think it's yeah. helpful. So, yeah, you're right. The the that's the big the big issue is I think, well, one statistically speaking, as far as the medical industry, they're the ones responsible for quite literally killing the majority of people. They can't deal with heart disease because they don't know how. They just think. Oh, we'll control your cholesterol with a statin, or we'll we'll prescribe this new drug. And you, you've seen the TV commercials; they're all fun. Yeah, people are laughing, smiling, smiling. Yeah. This drug all the will oversaturated. help you. Ilch. Mary and I heard this commercial um, uh, last week. It's, it was a new thing for MS. Uh, you know, stop taking this if you experience life-threatening 
symptoms. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you, you, already, you already took it. So and it's you... almost a joke now because pe- people have gotten so used to hearing that that they don't take it seriously yeah. anymore. But they actually should be taking it seriously. And then they go to their yeah. doctor and say, hey, doc, I should be prescribed this. Right. <laughs> okay, because he, he gets a kickback, so why not? You yeah. know? And it's just a, it's a mess. And you're right, though. That we're, we're, we're locking young men up for a plant that probably has a massive, it does have medicinal benefits. It absolutely does. Yeah. And not only locking them up, we're protecting the government, the, uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies that are dispensing all of these painkillers and all of these opioids and, and, and other synthetic drugs right. and literally just killing people. So we're locking people up for yeah. something that should, they shouldn't be. Right. Or, or people are spraying a cheaply made chemical on anything that can be smoked. And creating synthetic pot, mm-hmm. uh, what is it like spice or whatever, and and it's extremely dangerous and harmful, and way more dangerous than smoking marijuana. But it's also a lot cheaper and easier to make than marijuana. And like you said, the market will do what the market does. Yeah. So I think just like a thirty second thing, real quick. Drug use. Yes. Paul says to be sober minded and not be drunk with wine. Alcohol can be abused. Absolutely. Right. Okay. It can be abused, but it also gladdens the heart. The Bible says. Right. Um, Drug usage. There are certain medicinal benefits, I think, for something like marijuana. Absolutely. Um, Harder drugs? (laughs) Probably not. Right. Probably not. So I think, though, the the big issue, though, a theology of drug drug use is, one, is it medicinal? What's your heart motivation towards using it? Are you trying to escape from the world? Because we're not escapists. Right. We should be honoring God. Whether you you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So do those things to the glory of God. If it's a, if if it's a medicinal thing, then do it a medicinal thing. But I, you know, if you're trying to alleviate your pain and your suffering, and you're turning to these other things, you you are turning the wrong direction. I think so. You're, you should yeah. be worshiping Christ and giving your life to Him. So just because we sit here and say, "Hey, the state has no business waging this war on drugs," it's not giving license. We're not saying, all right, everybody go, let's get heroin and LSD and stuff. Let's do it. Right. No. What we're saying, though, is is the government has no business in that making crimes, destroying families, all sorts of collateral damage. Right. Right. And it's the responsibility of the person and the individual to utilize those types of things to the glory of God. And if you're trying to escape, as I said, you're not using it to the glory of God. If you're trying to harm others, you're not doing it to the glory of God. Yes. So, but that's not for the state. Yeah, exactly. And whenever we talk about ethics, we've we've mentioned this many times before on the show. There's the ethical level, but then there's also the jurisdictional level. So, is something ethical? There's one question. Next, who has the jurisdiction to actually censure that action or or to um, you know have some sort of action against it? And we'd say in this case, it is going to be the church. If you are abusing drugs then it would be the jurisdiction of your local church to be like, hey, Jason, you need to quit using meth, man. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, or, <laughs> yeah. uh, or if you're just becoming, you know, maybe you are smoking marijuana, but you're just becoming a, a, a lazy pothead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a similar kind of thing where that, the church should be able to take action. And eventually, if you're unrepentant, maybe even excommunicate you. Yes, exactly. So it is definitely, there is a jurisdictional aspect to this where not only do we need to answer the question, is this ethical, but then we need to answer the question, who has a jurisdiction to censure this or to sanction this action? And it moves into the jurisdiction of the state when you have a crime that's been committed, you have a victim who's coming forward and a judge who's ready with a jury to either acquit or condemn someone who had committed an actual crime. Yeah. 
not merely for possession. And this <laughs> might be a, a longer argument than we have time to discuss, but I even think there's an Old Testament principle to say that if you are willfully under the influence of a substance and then you go commit a crime against somebody, you harm somebody or destroy their property, the punishment should even be harsher at that point. Because hmm. you are putting yourself in a position where you are less accountable and less responsible, and or not less accountable, you're you're, yeah, you're yeah, actually yeah. less able to control yourself, and it's almost a goring ox principle applied. Yes, exactly. Um, tied into maybe parapet principle. It's I don't want to get into all of it, but but there <laughs> there is the idea yeah. of it, it's similar to like drunk driving, where it's like if I'm driving drunk um, and I hurt somebody, the punishment should even be more severe than if I hurt somebody without drunk driving. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the axe head that flies off versus the guy who's intentionally sabotaging the, it's the negligence. Exactly. Like the, your, your sinful negligence adds to the crime, but you actually have to commit the crime. So what listen, about pharmacia? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can kind of quickly hit on that. Well, I mean, yeah, there's some people will say it's any drug, any and all drug. It's right. gotta be, it's pharmacia. What about Tylenol? Um, it, right. I mean, I don't recommend it, but I understand why someone might in a quick, panic need it because of a toothache sure. or something right. you know but as far as regular usage probably you know, i wouldn't suggest it sure um because it will hurt your liver you mentioned that earlier yes. yeah but i don't think that's pharmacaea right um when when people mention pharmacaea as an argument against drugs again they're almost always talking about illegal drugs <laughs> but then it's like why is it that this old testament principle they didn't have our schedule one drugs in mind when moses is writing god's <laughs> law down um so whenever we think about pharmacaea we, we need to keep in the context of what these verses are talking about and it's talking about sorcery it's talking about necromancy it's talking about actual pagan rituals designed to kind of change your um uh, level of consciousness to hope to th th their hope at least is to open themselves up to spirits or demons yep that escapist impulse exactly escape the world and go to another world so although drugs even today can do that and that is one reason out of many reasons to not be using mm -hmm. drugs that actually make you like legitimately high uh it's really not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing because you're not trying to commune with demons. Uh, so you can't just label any drug use you don't particularly like as pharmacaea. Yeah. Yep. I, I, yes, I'm with you on that. So let's finish with this. Objections. Sure. Listeners might have. One, one objection is, but people will abuse drugs and they'll hurt themselves. Sure. What's that to you? <laughs> I don't want anybody hurting themselves. But I also don't want people in prison for a plant that is medicinal and, and, and crossing a jurisdictional boundary. Yeah, I would say there's, there's two different ways of answering this. The first is like what you just said. I don't want people being thrown in prison because of their bad decision of smoking pot or whatever the case may be, maybe even something harder. And you have to ask yourself, well, isn't that reaping much greater destruction on society? throwing people in prison for the rest of their life or not. You know, sometimes it is for the rest of their life effectively. Um, but for many years and they're not able to make money for their family anymore. And then you kind of self-righteously talk about, you know, uh, black families without fathers while you're actually in support of the laws that are putting them in prison. Hmm. And then <laughs> um, criticize the welfare state, which they're dependent on because the man can't work. Yeah. While you <laughs> like your own welfare, you know, <laughs> and this vicious cycle. Yeah. So I don't think it's good for them in the long run at all. It's not good for them to go to prison. It doesn't actually help them. If they actually have, let's say they're, they're addicted to heroin or maybe addicted to meth, it doesn't help them 
to go to prison. You can get drugs in prison. <laughs> um, it's actually much easier to get drugs in prison a lot of times. It is. Um, and uh, so it doesn't actually help them. And at that point, I feel like, yeah, it, it is a sin issue, but it's also a very much a health issue. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, these people exactly. need severe, severe help. Yep. They need really legitimate medical help. Health quality uh, of life. Exactly. But people abuse the drugs and hurt themselves. Does that happen now? Yeah. We have laws. We have laws. <laughs> yeah. We have the DEA. Are people hurting themselves now? Yes. So the, law, the laws didn't stop it. Exactly. Yeah. And there's obviously other things piled on top of them. Executive power and overreached, yada, yeah. yada, disproportionate. You would think that the amount of money spent on the drug lore correlates somehow with drug usage, but it's not actually the case. That's not the case with the war on terror either. We don't have less terrorism the more money we throw at the war on drugs. Yes. We actually don't have better education the more money we throw at our education <laughs> system. It's almost like the state isn't the, the answer <laughs> to these things. We need more money for there's, public schools. There's no causation or correlation whatsoever. What about... What about kids? Uh, what about ism, right? What about the kids being in drug abuse homes? What do we do in a situation there? Well, if you're saying we shouldn't arrest that man and put him in prison for, you know, potentially even abusing his kids. Right. You and I agree the CPS model is, is trash. Right. <laughs> because it is the state trying to be the nanny. Right. <laughs> in multiple formats. Did you want to see something on that? Oh, no. I mean, it just there's obviously going to be a lot of good that those people do, CPS agents, because they're taking kids out of actually abusive situations. And as much as I don't like the state as the nanny, I prefer the state as a nanny over a physically <laughs> abusive or meth-head <laughs> father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're dealing with kind of lesser evils at that point. But um, a lot of times it's just not as simple as that. Yeah, it's not. A lot of times you need to know the actual situation where a father who smokes pot sometimes is still going to be a better father than being put in a state orphanage. Hmm. Uh, And there's also a lot of examples of foster families not being very safe either Hmm. and how the state is not a good system in ensuring the safety of those kids. Uh, So I would say that the answer to that question, what about the kids being in drug abuse homes? What about those? The church needs to step up. Exactly. And this is just another example of the church not doing its job, but there actually being a real need. And because there's a real need, the state steps up and provides a bad answer, a bad solution, while the entire time the church needs to be doing this. And, it's like and the, historically, this has actually been the case. Historically, the church has built orphanages, has built homes for children. Um, I know there's actually lots of organizations right now that are built by the Southern Baptists, or the Presbyterians, or Lutherans who, who do that exact thing, and they do a lot of good work, but they're actually having to work within the government system still, which makes it more difficult. Yeah, tie it up, red tape. Yeah. And... And frankly, um, a lot of times we soothe our consciousses by just giving, it's like the crisis care pregnancy center or, and, and some of those are good things. We call them, you know, the nonprofits or, right. or the, uh, parachurch, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think anything's parachurch anyway, because the church is the church. See, the church and, not. Yes. So, but how, how involved are we in those things? I think that's a good example that where we could be, adoption could be easier, foster yeah. caring, you know, those things could be way easier. Um, and then lastly, um, maybe one ex- objection, and surely there are tons, I'm sure, but <laughs> yes, yes. bad. What if, what, this is bad for the public good, John. Right. How dare you talk about Drugs this issue? Drugs destroy society, so it poses a kind of an existential threat to society, and therefore we have to make it illegal. <laughs> well, I, I think the first answer is kind of what we've already said. Well, you know, the laws haven't actually decreased drug use as, as, at all. So it doesn't really doesn't really apply. The war hasn't worked. <laughs> but also, whenever you start making the claim for public good or public health, 
Uh, well, that's that's how you get COVID-19 lockdowns. Um, <laughs> that's how you get state governors making you wear a mask everywhere you go or shutting down your bars or uh, making public education even less good than it yeah. has been before, even <laughs> even worse than it was. Um, or saying your job's not essential, you can't go to work. And yeah, exactly, family. right? So it all leads to that and much, much worse and much, much worse because what you're positing right here with the whole, we have to make drugs illegal because it's bad for society. Well, who's determining what's bad for society? First of all, because we might even agree with you that meth is bad for society. Hint, it, it is. It is. It is, right? We agree. Um, however, it doesn't stop there. And the benevolent dictator quickly becomes the not-so-benevolent dictator. Mm -hmm. And whenever you start giving them power to dictate, to dictate what is good for society, it very much eventually becomes a matter of opinion. And um, then what's good for society is taking away your handgun and your AR-15. And then here we are. <laughs> yeah, what, what's good for society is actually funding more abortion. What's good for society is public education and mass imprisonment. Mm -hmm. What's good for society is ma building a massive border wall. So all of these things presuppose the socialist foundation. Absolutely. That question presupposes that it is the government's job to be the nanny. It is the government's job to positively act on the behalf of everybody else, as opposed to what our founders envisioned, which is the government's job to limit itself and just provide freedoms for people to act on their own. Yeah, that's really good. Good thoughts. We'll, we'll end there. I want to make one more comment, though. We're reformed. Yes, we are. So we're reformed. <laughs> we like Calvin. We like the reformed theology. And uh, part of that reformed theology is a view of covenantalism that, based on Deuteronomy 28 and other places, Part of the problem in our nation is because God has, in his sovereign decision, chosen to negatively sanction us. Yes. And part of those negative sanctions are the state becomes a grip around your throat, and things spiral out of control, and you have cities on fire, chaos in the election system, you have all this confusion, and it's almost as if God wants to drive us back to himself. Yes. And if we'll honor him and go back to him... It seems to me that this whole public good thing, or what about the <laughs> abuse, you know, those who hate me love death. People will find a way to escape, will find a way to die because they hate God. They want that. They want that. Yeah. But it's almost as if, man, if we would turn back to Christ, that he would give life and his spirit would pour out, and then we would see more and more people converted to, to Christ and his kingdom. That's right. And then this stuff just sort of goes away. It does. So... All right. Amen. That's it for us. Grace and peace to you all. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.